Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Family Health Podcast, a podcast for families and leaders that want to strengthen families. My name is Dr. Corey Gilbert, an author, university professor, licensed professional counselor, a life coach, and researcher, and speaker on topics such as trauma, abuse, sexual ethics, and gender, and sexuality issues today. I will be your host. In this podcast, we'll be focusing on four areas. See these as a quadrant, your health, your purpose, your relationships, and your work. Each week, we'll be diving into one of these four areas with the goal of challenging you and encouraging you in building strong families. We're sponsored by the Family Launch Academy, a community of families, parents, and leaders that want to see their children launched well into adulthood, prepared for what's to come. Find out more about the community, resources, courses, trainings, and Q&As with me, Dr. Gilbert, and the Family Launch Academy by joining our free Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Family Launch Academy. Now let's get into this week's episode. Fascinating discoveries have been coming out of the fields of neuroscience and interpersonal neurobiology. The more I learn, the more I am in awe of God's perfect design of our bodies and our masculinity and femininity. Hi there, my name is Dr. Corey Gilbert and looking forward to sharing more about love, sex, and neuroscience today. There are no mistakes. Why do you do the things you do in the way that you do them? Why do you get stuck, obsess, get into ruts you cannot break? Why do we desire or feel certain things? What is love really? How does the mind interplay with the body with regards to our sexuality? What is the impact of pornography? Why is the impact of porn so serious and such a big deal? Why does some choose porn over a live human being? Did you know that there is one interesting cure and or treatment for many of the physical and mental health issues many of us face? In his book, The Brain in Love, Dr. Daniel Amen states that sex is an incredible healing force, a medicine. He says, making love on a regular basis improved mood, memory, and overall health. He continues to drive home the point with a study that found that regular sexual activity decreased the risk of heart attack and stroke by 50%. He concluded, hold the medicine, give me love. What does sex do to and for our bodies? It strengthens and lengthens our life expectancy. Sex positively impacts and renovates our immune system functioning. Sex can also be associated with more joy, a reduction in physical pain, and improved sexual and reproductive health. Researchers have correlated sexual activity with a decrease in the two leading causes of death in the United States, heart disease and cancer. This should have you very excited right now and anticipating good times with your marriage partner. I hope so. Let us look at each of these benefits one by one. When sex and sexuality are in the right place in a person's mind and body, the experience of sex tends to help reduce stress hormones. This also leads to a reduction of anxiety and a decrease in a person's violent tendencies and hostility. One key finding makes me jump for joy as the science once again proves God's design. Found in the research and backed by further studies, The key to this effect of regular sexual activity was found in thoughtful sexual activity with a committed partner. Matthew 19, 5 and 6 describes the design in very simple terms. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Marriage is the only context for sexual activity, one man and one woman only for life. Welcomed and safe physical touch increases our oxytocin. 
This is our bonding chemical. Thus, there's a boost in trust with each safe touch, as well as an anticipation of touch. This also lowers our cortisol levels, which impact our body's inflammation properties. Cortisol is the stress hormone responsible for chronic stress and its results. What a beautiful picture. Sex equals closeness, oneness, lower stress, and feeling bonded. What more could we want? <laughs> but there's more. Sex within the above boundaries leads to fewer sick days as well as a boost in our immune system. Orgasms alone are known to be responsible for increasing infection-fighting cells by 20%. Regular sexual activity also increases the antibody immunoglobin A that helps us fight colds and the flu. <laughs> Forget the flu shot, I think we have a winner. The impact of regular sexual activity with a safe partner, the same partner, increases healthy hormone levels, impacts menstrual health, prostate health, our cardi cardiovascular system, cholesterol, bone density, and skin health. Our brain works better, and cancer-fighting properties are aided in their fight against disease. This is still not everything that sex can do for you. Some more benefits to think about are more restful sleep, pain relief, migraine relief, depression treatment, looking younger, improved sense of smell, weight loss, overall fitness, health and longevity, and happiness. These are only a few reasons why we should be putting our sexuality and sex life in the right place within a biblical sexual ethic. You might be tempted to skip this part, but hang in there with me and you'll see it explains so much. You do not do things by accident. You do not become pessimistic by happenstance. You do not suddenly become more violent or quiet or reactive or fearful. You are guided by chemical reactions in the brain. The biggest question for me as I try to wrap my mind around this, the complexity of how God made us, is which comes first, our biology or choice. Where is free will here? Are we just a sum total of chemical firings? Do we have much say over these? Are we only biology? Where is the soul in this? Who am I? Can I truly change? Is the ability to change limited? Am I free? Or can I ever experience true freedom? Listen to these descriptions of the brain and what each part does. This synthesis of Dr. Amen's work, among others, is meant to help you get a quick snapshot of the complexity of your brain, the most important sex organ in your body. Falling in and out of love or lust is controlled by the limbic system. Interestingly, dopamine acts like cocaine and lights up the brain, triggering feelings of pleasure, motivation, and reward. Whether it is sex, eating, taking risks, or drinking water, the neurochemical dopamine activates your reward circuitry. The I've got to have it neurotransmitter, or the craving brain, is dopamine. The more dopamine is released, the greater the reward. The greater the reward, the more addictive the feeling or experience can be. Attraction occurs when the brainstem releases, see if I can say this word, penalithylamine, PEA, this speeds up the flow of information between nerve cells, working like a powerful drug. It's been found that the prefrontal cortex, which is not fully developed until the age 25, is involved in judgment, impulse control, organization, planning, forethought, and learning from mistakes. Think about the reality that at 25, a young person's critical decision-making center in their brain is still growing through their teenage and college years. This is valuable information for understanding some of their choices. They should also warn parents that their children still need mentoring and guidance throughout this time as their prefrontal cortex is continuing to strengthen and develop.
So the process of attraction and the role of dopamine for a man in the presence of a beautiful woman is that it causes the man's limbic system, which include the amygdala and other brainstem structures that are in charge of emotion, to fire up at the same time as the prefrontal cortex checks out. This leaves his judgment area vacant. No forethought equals potentially erratic, unquestioned, and even emotional reactions. Think about how that works and the result. What can be trusted? Is this a setup? The anterior cingulate gyrus, ACG, helps us feel settled, relaxed, and flexible. It's the brain's major switching station or gear shifter. Healthy activity levels help us connect, give us cognitive flexibility, and make us more cooperative. When there's too much activity, serotonin levels lower, and we become unable to shift. We get rigid, cognitively inflexible, overfocused, anxious, and oppositional. The deep limbic system, the DLS, sets the emotional tone. When it is less active, we are more positive and have a more hopeful state of mind. When it is heated or overactive, negativity can take over. The DLS controls sleep and appetite cycles. It intimately is intimately involved in bonding and being socially connected. The basal ganglia, the BG, is involved in integrating feelings, thoughts, and movement. The BG sets the body's idle or anxiety level. When it is overactive, we are anxious, fearful, and full of tension. Our feelings of pleasure and even ecstasy are guided by our BG. The temporal lobes are involved in memory and mood. These help with language, hearing, understanding social cues, short-term memory, moving memories into long-term storage, along with the processing of music, tone of voice, and mood stability. When there's trouble in the temporal lobes, this can lead to both short and long-term memory problems, reading difficulties, trouble finding the right words and conversations, trouble reading social cues, and sometimes religious or moral preoccupation or perhaps a lack of spiritual sensitivity. Think of this story. Johnny is a healthy 15-year-old male. He sees a beautiful girl and his dopamine increases and his amygdala revs up, which causes his prefrontal cortex to shut down. He really wants to talk with her, though. How does he make any good decision at this point? If his interior cingulate gyrus is running well, he can remain relaxed and flexible. If his deep limbic system is less active, he can be more positive about the outcome of his upcoming verbal exchange. If not, pessimism and doubt creep in. If his basal ganglia remains calmed, he will not become overanxious or tense. Is that likely? If his temporal lobes malfunction, he will be at a loss of words and most likely become unable to respond to social cues. Do you see how this all can go wrong? Dopamine draws him in, but each of the other parts of the brain can work against him if they get out of balance. Some hormones and chemicals need more activity than others. The balance of our brain's functionality hinges on many factors. Has Johnny had a brain injury? If so, it will most likely have affected one of these key areas of the brain. Read any of Dr. Daniel Amen's books and you will see these clearly explained as having key roles in a specific impact on our mood, behavior, spirit, and sensitivity. We have not paid enough attention to this part in the past. If Johnny has a slight spike in activity in the basal ganglia, he will become fearful and tense. See how this works? Imagine how complicated this gets for you and I. I read about an experiment in which a researcher made the following offer to men and to women. The offer was to choose between $15 tomorrow 
or $70 in a few days. The person asking them in was a very attractive woman. They found that men stop thinking about long-term consequences once attraction chemicals kick in, and they overwhelmingly chose the $15 over the $75. What do you think the women did with the same offer from an attractive male counterpart? Attraction had no effect on women's thinking process, and they chose to wait for the $75. Interesting. Yes, men and women are different. Speaking of attraction, it's found that 50% of the brain is dedicated to vision. The amygdala, which controls emotion and motivation, is much more activated in men when viewing sexual material for 30 minutes. The difference in the brain between love and lust is that lust is fueled by testosterone and love by vasopressin and oxytocin. One is fleeting and unreliable. The other is deeper, longer-lasting, and bonding. Love lights up the caudate and ventral tegmental areas of the brain. The ventral tegmental area floods the caudate with dopamine. The caudate then sends signals for more dopamine. Sexual attraction impacts the amygdala and hypothalamus, which controls drive. So what conclusion can can we draw? That love feeling may be more of a drive than emotion. Love decreases brain levels of serotonin the neurotransmitter responsible for mood and flexibility. Low serotonin means you can get stuck on ideas, even become obsessed. Serotonin levels can be increased by exercise, carbohydrates, and thought distraction. Men who have healthy activity in their prefrontal cortex have greater empathy and focus and make better husbands. If the prefrontal cortex is overactive, we can become obsessive, oppositional, and argumentative. When it is underactive, we can become impulsive, easily distracted, and bored. Testosterone beefs up the hypothalamus, the area of the brain that is interested in sex, which is two times larger in men. Men with high testosterone levels are 43% more likely to get divorced and 38% more likely to have extramarital affairs. They are also 50% less likely to marry in the first place. Men with lower testosterone are more likely to get married and stay married since low levels make men more cooperative. Now think about this, that there are major chemicals involved in the primary phases of love. When there's attraction, which is including the craving for sexual gratification, there's testosterone, estrogen, nitric oxide, and pheromones. Infatuation, which is kind of that intense, passionate love, there's epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, and PEA. Now, when we get into commitment, which is that connectedness, joy, stability, and peace, that is oxytocin and vasopressin. When there's detachment, so losing a love through breakups or death, there's deficiencies in serotonin and endorphins. One model that I love to tell my students about is what I call cocaine brain. I'm referring to brain scans that reveal that the centers of the brain that light up when we are infatuated in love, when we're head over heels, are the same centers in the brain that light up if you were to take the drug cocaine. So you are literally high when you are in love or high on love. The takeaway, do not make any major decisions while high or cocaine brained. What follows is going to be a quick run through of these chemicals and how they work in the body from a kind of a 30,000 foot view. This is, this, the point of this is to lay a foundation for further understanding of the complexities of our bodies, brains, and sexuality. This is a fire hose, um, but I promise it's worth it and it will help explain a lot.
Okay, testosterone. Testosterone in men appears to make them more self-focused sexually. Lower testosterone in men reduces their sex drive, not necessarily sexual potency, which is the ability to achieve an erection, but testosterone is clinically effective for sex drive only in hypotestosterone males. Some women have found that testosterone treatment can um, move the dial slightly if they are hoping to increase their sexual desire. Women with higher levels of testosterone report less depression, experience more sexual gratification with their husbands, and show strength in forming good, healthy interpersonal relationships. Now, masturbation, though, without a partner does not increase testosterone levels, while intercourse with a partner does. Interesting on God's design. Desire and response increase or decrease by complex chemical interactions, including peptides, neurotransmitters, and hormones, not solely based off testosterone levels. Estrogen. Estrogen is both excitatory and inhibitory in women. It is solely inhibitory in men. Estrogen is primarily produced in female ovaries, but is also found in both the male and female brains. When combined with a dose of testosterone, estrogen contributes to sexual desire and responsiveness in women. It promotes lubrication and vaginal health, while also facilitating the action of serotonin, opioids, prolactin, and oxytocin. Nitric oxide. This chemical is released by the genitals when aroused, causing vasodilation, which is increased blood flow to the pelvic area for women, specifically the labia and clitoris, and increased blood flow to the penis for men. Medications known as PDE5 inhibitors, such as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, work by helping stimulate the release of nitric oxide. Pheromones. These are chemicals that are scent signaling. They are secreted by sweat glands, primarily in the armpits. These are thought to influence how humans mate, bond, and take care of offspring. There's a direct connection between the olfactory bulb at the top of the nose and the hypothalamus in the brain, also known as the erection center. Driver pheromones affect the endocrine system of others. An example of this is when women living in close proximity to other women find their menstrual cycles syncing up. Epinephrine and norepinephrine. These are produced in the adrenal glands, spinal cord, and brain, causing what we know as the adrenaline rush. These facilitate both sexual arousal and orgasm. High levels are associated with anxiety and low levels are associated with depression. Chronic stress, sedentary lifestyle, poor diet, and genetics can lead to low levels. The amino acid tyrosine can raise levels. Dopamine. This is one of the most important neurotransmitters in relation to our experience of pleasure, reinforcement, reward, movement, attraction, and other processes related to sexual desire, arousal, response, and satisfaction. Dopamine mediates pleasure, increases sex drive, and promotes orgasms. High levels of dopamine, though, can lead to psychosis. <laughs> Low levels can lead to depression. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, excitement, and risk-seeking behaviors. Serotonin, known as 5-HT, serotonin is produced in the midbrain and brainstem. It is involved with mood regulation and emotional flexibility. It inhibits arousal and orgasm in both sexes. It decreases anxiety and aggressiveness. It is symbiotic with estrogen. Serotonin facilitates opioids and progesterone, which also mute sexual excitement. Low levels lead to depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, and what has been coined new love. High levels are associated with lowered motivation. Penethylamine, P-E-A, one I couldn't say earlier. 
HPA is the adrenaline-like substance that speeds up the flow of information between nerve cells and is triggered in the process of attraction to help us pay attention to feelings of love. It initiates a flood of chemicals into the brain along with norepinephrine and dopamine to create the feelings of euphoria and infatuation when we are attracted. This is also found in chocolate, which may help to explain a lot. Oxytocin. Oxytocin is a neuropeptide hormone that facilitates attraction and touch sensation. According to Dr. Amen, it is your brain's love juice. Oxytocin levels increase following touch. Once a touching pattern is established, levels increase in anticipation of touching. It is involved in bonding, both as a cause and an effect. The coolest thing is that it spikes during orgasm by 500% for men. It plays a role in attraction, trust, touch, sex, orgasm, bonding, labor, parenting, and nursing, to name a few. Oxytocin also has a uh, numbing effect during sex and orgasm that blocks negative memories people have about each other for a period of time. This amnesiac effect also occurs during childbirth. Higher oxytocin levels are associated with increased feelings of trust and a decrease in stress levels. Vasopressin. Vasopressin is known as the antidiuretic hormone. It prevents water and salt depletion by stimulating thirst and inhibiting urination. It's a key thermoregulator. It limits overheating of brain areas involved in sexual activity. It is involved in regulating sexual persistence, assertiveness, dominance, and territorial markings. Men have higher levels. This hormone can make the difference between the stay-at-home family dad and the one-night stand artist as vasopressin is shown to assist in the regulation of social pair bonding, sexual and social fidelity in men. Why do these matter? I personally fell in love with the word yada in my training as a sex therapist at the Institute for Sexual Wholeness. Yada is a primitive word, root word, and it means to know, to be known, to be or become known, to be revealed. I love that we were created for that purpose, to be known. We are known by God, and we can be known by and know others. Yada sex is fully sensuous, fully receiving, fully knowing, fully being known, becoming one in the quiet. This is beautiful imagery. I personally zero in on that last one, becoming one in the quiet. This is sexuality within the context of marriage, within the safety and security of someone that knows you, trusts you, and gives themselves to you, and vice versa. What a beautiful place. You were meant to be known. Thanks for tuning in to the Family Health Podcast. I hope these become valuable resources full of encouragement and challenges as you lead your family well and with confidence and definitely not alone. Find out more about marriage and family life coaching and consulting at HealingLives.com. I want to help you and your family be successful in marriage, love, life, and family. Thank you to our sponsor, the Family Launch Academy. To get your family moving in the right direction quickly, check out our website, HealingLives.com, for available options that will serve your family best, from counseling and coaching to seminars, online courses, and more. It is an honor to serve.